0: Welcome to Saltgrass, a show about how local communities can engage with the climate crisis at a grassroots level. My name is Ali Hanley. In this episode, we'll be exploring one of the most important issues for Australia in our climate conversation right now. That is, the federal government's bloody-minded insistence to invest in millions of dollars into fossil fuel extraction under the pretense of helping Australia recover from the COVID crisis – This is interesting as australia has done an amazing job of dodging the devastation that so many other places in the world have experienced because of COVID. our conservative right-wing government actually gave money to people to help them stay home if they needed to we have had lockdowns and social distancing and have actually followed the advice of scientists we've been very lucky as an island nation we also control our borders and monitor everyone coming in or out Not that that has always worked with the virus escaping hotel quarantine and spreading through our communities on multiple occasions, but it's relatively quickly come under control. As I edit and release this episode on the 1st of June in 2021, my home state of Victoria is once again in a hard lockdown to try and curb yet another outbreak of COVID. That means masks are mandatory in public and there are only a few reasons to leave home. All of the interviews I'm including today were recorded about a week before this lockdown started. And all of it is focusing on people who are protesting against our government's decision to invest in fossil fuels as an economic recovery plan from COVID. We're gonna hear from students gathering on a train platform on a frosty morning on their way to a massive student strike for climate. And these students from Castlemaine have played an important role in the broader Australian student strike movement. We also hear from some adults who are travelling with them and what the student strike means to them. Then we'll cut to a rally held later the same day in Castlemaine that was organised to support the larger strike that was happening in Melbourne at the same time. I've not included the full audio from the rally, just some tasters. And I've also included a little interview with the youngest speaker of the day, a primary school student who spoke on behalf of all young people. Her name is Chilly. Now, Saltgrass has many listeners in the United States and around the world, thanks to recently being listed in the New York Times as an environment podcast to listen to. So for those of you listening from overseas, this episode will give you some insight into the particular situation Australia finds itself in right now, and the particular fight that we've got on our hands here. And as we know, the climate fight changes shape everywhere you go in the world. We've long been known as the lucky country with lots of natural resources, making us lots of money, but as we start to wake up to the climate crisis and start to hear the pain of the First Nations people from our land, more and more ordinary Australians are starting to say, you know what, the money isn't worth it. Stop blowing up sacred sites, Rio Tinto. Stop digging for coal and exploring for gas to frack. It isn't worth it. There are some things more valuable than money, and money can't buy us life from a dead planet. But not only that, it's actually becoming clearer and clearer that the financial benefits that the federal government keeps talking about from this supposed gas-led recovery are not actually going to benefit our economy very much at all. If you want to read more about this and related issues, I've got some links in the episode description at saltgrasspodcast.com. So some more context around the timing of this episode. As mentioned before, I recorded all of this last week when the student strike was happening. And this week is Reconciliation Week. Again, for the sake of Saltgrass's international listeners, Reconciliation Week is a major event in the Australian calendar. It happens every year from the 27th of May to the 3rd of June, regardless of where that falls in a week. So sometimes it starts on a Thursday, sometimes it starts on a Tuesday. These dates commemorate two really significant milestones in the reconciliation journey. One of them was the successful 1967 referendum which fundamentally changed the rights and status of Indigenous Australians. And the other is the High Court Mabo decision, which was a landmark case around First Nations land rights. If you want to educate yourself about either of these topics, then also check out the links I have in the episode description around this, or just Google the 1967 referendum or the Mabo case. Reconciliation Week is a time to remember and celebrate those historical wins, but also to focus on finding ways to build and repair relationships with Aboriginal Australians. There is still a lot of trauma, both personal, generational and collective in the Aboriginal community, and a lot of work to do for non-Indigenous Australians to educate ourselves and find ways to be and do better. The Reconciliation Week website is a great place to learn more. So, I have recorded an interview with a local Aboriginal leader, Kath Koff, and I was planning to run that this week. I've also recorded the opening ceremony of Reconciliation Week, but i decided to run with a student strike because, as you'll hear, interwoven with the action around climate strikes and rallies is a lot of acknowledgement and respect for the wisdom of the Aboriginal worldview. The climate movement can't move forward without First Nations wisdom, here or around the world. Also, reconciliation needs to happen all year round. A week of education and events is really important to keep the conversation happening, but it shouldn't stop at the end of Rec Week. So stay tuned for those recordings with Auntie Kath and of the opening event of Reconciliation Week. As ever, before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that saltgrass is produced on Jara Country. Jara Country is the traditional home of the Djarjarung people who have been the custodians and caretakers of this land for tens of thousands of years. We thank them for the care they have taken and continue to take of country, the rivers, mountains, trees, and animals. We would like to honour this country, the elders of the past and present, and most importantly, the young, proud Aboriginal people, as they are our leaders for tomorrow. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Salt. Salt.
1: Salt. 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 Salt.
2: Grassroots.
1: Grassroots.
0: grassroots, 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 salt of the earth, people, grassroots change, saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green at saltgrasspodcast.com. So, first up, we're going to hear from the teenagers who gathered on a frosty morning at the Castlemaine train station. I got there at about 7.30 a.m. to capture the intent and enthusiasm of these young activists. Then later in the episode, we're going to jump straight to the climate rally that was held that same day at Victory Park in the Castlemaine Town Centre. So your name's Harriet. Yeah. You're here on a freezing cold morning in Castlemaine at the train station. (laughs) (laughs) And you're with a group of other students who are going to travel to Melbourne for the climate strikes. Tell me what your role in this has been, because I know that you've been in it right from the start. How did it all happen for you?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, back I think in 2018, when I was in year eight, Malou, my friend Malou, like, read an article about Greta Thunberg in Sweden, who'd been striking for, like, a couple weeks at that stage. And she was like, oh, my gosh, like, we've, we should do something like this in Australia. So Malou, Callum and I decided that we'd, yeah, start striking here too. So, yeah, we did that. We got some help from AYCC, the Australian Australian youth climate coalition yeah. with advertising and everything because at that stage n- none of us had phones or anything and then yeah we went on strike and initially like well we thought it was just gonna be like our class which only had eight people and then on the first strike we had about like 20 people and we were like really happy with that we were like oh my god like it's amazing <laughs> like 20 people on the first one yeah. and then yeah throughout the month it slowly like built up until on the 30th of November the first big strike we got to the train station there were like 200 people here just from Castle Lane and yeah we were just like so overwhelmed it was amazing because especially because none of us um, had phones or on social media or anything we really had no idea how big it was yeah and then ever since then yeah it's been growing every time we've obviously had to have a big break from in-person action because of the pandemic but it's really exciting to be back doing some protests. Yeah, cool.
0: So you've got Fund Our Future written on your face tell me what the issues are at this moment in time
3: yeah so our focus for this strike is on funding our future and not gas we're asking our government to have renewables focused recovery after the pandemic because at the moment it's looking like they're trying to invest in more unsustainable energy like coal and gas and everything which is just really disappointing because it's really a great opportunity to make some massive changes in our system and start investing in our future and we really need to make these changes now because we're running out of time yeah It's
0: urgent. (laughs) And what are you hoping to see when you get into Melbourne and what, what's going to happen today?
3: Yeah, well, I'm trying not to have too yeah high expectations for people or everything because, yeah, obviously we've lost like a bit of momentum and stuff over COVID and it's going to probably take a while to build all that, you know, back up again and get people involved again. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just hoping for it. Yeah, as many people as we can get, hopefully lots of people come out to show their support and, you know, it's just really important that people realise that this issue isn't going away and we can't just forget about it.
4: So we're off to the climate strike in Melbourne. So this is the first climate strike since pre-Covid. So it'll be interesting to see how how many young people here are there. And I'm going, really, as an ally, the young people and supporter of them, just whatever they need. They've got clear, strong voices. They don't need my voice as well, just more as a kind of support vehicle (laughs) for whatever they need but I I do support them. Climate change I think more and more in the discourse I'm hearing is, is a catalyst for social change. I think it has been classed as a middle-class movement, and I, and I get that. But I think now the discourse is broader, and this is about massive social change that is really needed. We now know climate change amplifies disadvantage, and that needs to be addressed. You know, I really applaud these young people taking that on, I think they, they too are articulating the movement in that way, you know. So this is about hearing the voices of marginalised, the voices of majority world peoples that aren't heard, where climate change has massive impacts on their way of life. So, yeah, credit to them.
0: And what's your, like, what's the journey been from the start of this as a parent? What have you seen?
4: Well, it's been pretty cataclysmic, really. I mean, I remember taking Malou and Callum, taking them back from hip-hop one night, and there was this mutterings of Greta and what if, what will we could do a strike too. And then it sort of morphed from there and thinking, wow, and they had the energy, they had the motivation, they had the inspiration. And then the first little climate strike in Bendigo, and I think they were really impressed that 40 or 50 young people came with us. And it's like, wow, and they made their first huge banner and there's some beautiful video footage of that. And then it kind of just morphed. And the interesting thing was, none of them were on social media. So it all happened word of mouth and they weren't aware of the massive sort of movement that was building through social media. So they were completely gobstruck when we went down to Melbourne that time. (laughs) It was beautiful. I I was quite moving, actually, seeing them on the escalator in Southern Cross Station. I remember they all turned around and there was, you know, there was maybe 400, 500 from Castlemaine or in Southern Cross. And just watching this movement of young people suddenly going, wow, we have power. I think that's what I saw. And they all just cheered. It was quite a memorable moment, really yeah
5: someone held up the big banner at the yeah, top yeah yeah, yeah 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 the freeze yeah so we're going to do that today again i think yeah i think Just that was for...
4: very moving very powerful so they we do this freeze so do you well, want so to we talk come in about
5: from Feast southern Camera? cross we get into from our train and we go into like the big lobby you know near the front and we get there yeah. and we have do we have a hedgehog toy with us yes yes, yes, yes okay got we've got a little toy that makes I a squeaky noise right. and we say right when we squeak this toy we're all going to stop where we are, Hi Lisa. be silent, are hold our banners up and freeze until yeah. so we, we make the noise and everyone stands there with their banners held up, up again, right. and then we just wait and all the commuters have to weave in and out of us really for, for a couple now. of minutes at least and then we, then we let it go. But for a few minutes there's a group of kids in the lobby of Southern Cross just frozen there, holding their messages up, not saying a word and it's really powerful. I'm Tilly and I'm, I'm Nellie. Nelly. <laughs>
6: We're striking from school, first school strike for climate, because it's something that we think is very important for our future. That needs to change. (laughs) Change the approaches that our um, government is currently implementing. Like funding bad things, like fossil fuels, all that, Mm -hmm. we don't want that. (laughs)
0: Have you been to a climate strike
6: before? Yes. yes, we've been to a few, not last year, obviously, but years before some of the big ones in Melbourne we've been to.
0: How did you get involved in the first place, like several years ago when you first started getting interested?
6: A lot of our peers are really interested. in it. It's a very supportive community and very encouraging of getting as many people as possible, so it felt like a very... Um, easy thing to become a part of which I think is a good thing because yeah. then you can get it the most amount of people interested and supporting. Most of my friends were going for it and like
0: it's pretty lonely at school if you don't come.
6: Yeah. <laughs> <That's interesting.
0: laughs> and how have your parents felt about you skipping school? <laughs> They're fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> my- Parents
6: are very supportive of the course, so, yeah, which is really, really helpful. I'd probably come anyway, to be honest. Yeah. But um, even if they weren't, but they luckily they are.
0: What do you feel about the global movement about school strikes and stuff, from the start to now? What are you seeing happen?
6: I think they're continuously growing, which we love to see. I think as it becomes more, and especially because of social media, I think, which is really helpful in sort of putting the the word out and the messages. And as it becomes a much bigger thing. On social media and on the internet I think it encourages more people to take action and join and support and everything so it's really good to see I'd say. I think that social media has been very good, there's like people posting about it and like you get to see all the good stuff happening I think that just makes people want to join a bit more.
0: Do you think it's making a difference, all these students striking, do you feel like it's doing something?
6: I think the fact that it's got so much attention even negative from the media is actually is a really good thing you want the attention you want to show that people aren't going to back down I think that no matter what even if there's backlash and everything that this is something that's really important to so many people it's going to keep happening and if you don't want it to happen then take some other action you know so I think that yeah I think that's I think it's really good um yeah it's definitely making an impact there's like more and more people each time. Even when we're just walking on the streets, I see people just like randomly on the street joining in, just mm. walking with us. So I think it's definitely doing stuff. And when
5: do we want it? What do we want? Climate action! And when do we want it? No! Why are we, want? And when do we want it? Yeah. We're going to go to Melbourne and tell our government to fund our future instead of dirty gas projects? Thank <laughs> you.
0: So Eliza, we've spoken before, you're helping to organise the Castlemaine Support Rally. Yes. So we've just waved off all of the student strikers. So what's happening here in Castlemaine in support of the
7: main strike in Melbourne? Well, we're going to have a community gathering in our local park called Victory Park. And it's going to be very much in solidarity and support of the big rallies going on both in Melbourne but also all over Australia to try and wake up our government to the fact that we really need to be creating a safe climate future for particularly for the young people and all of nature. So what's what's happening in Victory Park? We'll be gathering from 1 pm and we're having a welcome to country from our local elder, Uncle Ricky Nelson. And then we are having some speakers, a variety of people from community and connection with council mm-hmm and obviously students and young people and and a few other local activists and then we'll be having some poetry and music so as well as delivering a very strong powerful message we'll also be sharing the love and the joy of the creativity of this journey
0: all right well i'll see you there fabulous
2: Welcome everybody, thank you very much for coming along to this fabulous day, this um, action against the climate crisis, organised by the kids originally and taken up by the community today. Excellent to see you all, beautiful day, good work, getting this um, great weather for us. Now to start proceedings we have the wonderful Uncle Rick who is going to give us a welcome to country, so if you'd like to put your hands together for Uncle Rick. Uh, thank you very much.
8: Uh, First, I'd like to thank um, these climate rally people inviting us here today to participate in this rally for climate change. And if anyone, you know, is uh, interested and keen about climate change, it's Aboriginal people. You know, I've lived here for over 40 years, and I can honestly say I've seen the climate change. It has, It's changed from when I was a teenager, to, to now, it has definitely changed, the summers are different, seasons seem to be running into each other, so, yeah, you know, Aboriginal people ha- had six seasons, a- and their seasons depended on, on the climate, told them when certain foods were ready, when the seasons were changing, when it was getting colder, and when it was getting warmer, those uh, particular foods would be ready, or, or eggs, you know, from bush Mallee fowl um, would be ready to collect and, and stuff like that. So Aboriginal people had, had particular ceremonies for visitors onto their lands and one of those was the uh, welcome to country or the Tandarum ceremony or as the early settlers called it, a freedom of the bush ceremony because once they participate in the ceremony, that, that gives you safe passage as you pass through that mob's country so we've got a little chant that we do that there's many parts to the welcome there's five or six parts different parts to it so it's too involved to to go into fully here today but we've got a a a little welcome chant that that we do basically saying welcome to emu country we've got a, a dreaming story about giant emus and stuff just out around mount franklin so anyway yeah welcome to emu country and give those people um, good spirit as I as I go. So thanks very much and, and thanks for coming today. <coughs> bar-am-all, bar-am-all. BAMO, 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 YABANI, Yabane Yabane AY, 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 WUKA, KEOK, MULUPUK, AY, WUKA,
2: Uncle Rick, for that fabulous warm welcome to country and what a, a brilliant country it is. We are here, of course, on Chajurong Country and how lucky we are to be here. And as Uncle Rick pointed out, this beautiful land is all about everybody here, but also it has a big story and we're all kind of part of it. And um, we're very um, lucky to be able to share some of that story with Uncle Rick and the Elders. And And we all know that land, as they've been saying for many years, is central. Country is central, and the entire world that we live on is absolutely at the heart of everything that we know and love. It's survival land here. It's been trashed in the past, but I think there's a growing awareness and a desire for us to listen to Uncle Rick and Aunty Kath and Aunty Julie and all the other elders about what they've been saying forever. We are just a small part of a much bigger story, and we are all beholden to care for it and to listen. Now I really love this country and I really love this community and yet it seems to me that pretty much at any gathering of thinking people across the nation talk eventually becomes uh, all about the challenges we all face as older people with most power and the influence and as younger people whose future we are creating as we speak. And I'm talking of course about the climate crisis. Our leaders are failing us. The gas-led recovery. I mean, are you kidding? You've got to be kidding. $600 million of public money on a stranded asset that will simply add fuel to the burning house that Greta has so eloquently warned us about. The markets are running away from fossil fuels. China is building super solar and wind farms. The electric vehicle revolution is coming, no matter what Bomo and his silly old friends think about it. People are taking up solar power and batteries in droves. And they're doing it faster than you can say, Greta Thunberg for world president. And then recently I was reading about First Dog on the Moon, a fabulous cartoonist. He's a genius. He asked a question and the question was, what can we say to the kids? And I actually think that's the wrong question. I think the, the, the question is, how do we listen to the kids? What are they saying to us? I mean, fight against climate change has become a, a worldwide phenomenon. It began with one small young woman sitting outside her school every Friday on strike for a better world, single flame in the dark. And then the students of Castlemaine, our beautiful students here, saw her flame and lit a small fire here. that grew and grew. There was a worldwide movement and suddenly there was a spark of hope we all felt a little bit better because the kids were in charge. The kids, the future leaders, they were standing up, they were being counted. And today that spark, which has been dimmed by the pandemic, is being relit. There are similar rallies across the country, in the big cities, in the townships, everywhere. The kids are talking. So let's listen to what they have to say. Uh, and now I'd like to introduce some um, people to talk about some action that's happening here at the council. Jodie Newcomb is the climate change coordinator at the Mount Alexander Shire Council, and Ellie Hanley is working works for the Maz Group, and she is also a world-renowned podcaster with her podcast Saltgrass. So I'd like to introduce both of them to come up and say some things about the climate uh, action plan. Hello.
9: Hello. Thank you, Suzanne. (laughs) So,
0: yes, absolutely. Uncle Rick, I think, was spot on when he said that Indigenous people here in Australia, but also around the world, they've been the holders of knowledge of how to manage country for forever. So I think we absolutely need to listen to our Indigenous people and we absolutely need to listen to our young people. And Greta is spot on the money with her speech.
9: Yeah, I think reflecting on the fact that we are here on Jara country and very blessed to be here with the Dja people and, and their continued connection to land, we would do really well to listen to Jara law and what it says about respecting water, that we should have clear, pure water running through this country. We should have clean air. We should have soils that are rich and support life and we should not take more than we need. And that's, that really simple set of laws is a wonderful place to start. And our love of this place and our connection to country is a big part of the solution. If everyone around the world would love their patch, like we do here in this community, invest, and invest their energies in looking after the local environment, we could go a long way to solving the ecological and climate crisis. So yeah, yeah. it's a great place to start. And. On that note, Reconciliation
0: Week is coming up really soon and the market building as ever will be open with displays and just get in touch with Naldoran and and see how you can learn more and be more connected to our local mob here, the Jajo Rung. So, yeah, my name's Ali and I've been working at the Matt Alexander Sustainability Group, or MASC, for the last three years. And I also run a radio show on the local station, Main FM, called Saltgrass. And it's also a podcast. In my work, in both of those capacities, I have had the chance to speak to so many people in our region about climate, what worries them, what they're afraid of in terms of our future, what makes them angry, what they're outraged about, and what their hopes and their visions and and what they really think, if only we could just do that one thing, it could make the difference. And I think that this region is wonderfully dense in activists and people who are engaged in this problem and it's a bit of an anomaly but what the student strikers are asking of us is that everybody come on board not just the dedicated few not those who have been involved for decades and have changed their lives already we need to get everyone involved and what does that mean like how do we i think the question for all of us is how do we engage the people who are not already engaged in the climate crisis and I really don't think it's a surprise, it's not a surprise to me after speaking to so many people over the last few years, that some of Australia's leading climate strike students have come from this region, because we do have really a solid base here for them, and it's a quite an inspiring group of people who live and operate here, and so many groups that already exist, MASG, The Hub, you know, there's climate action groups, protest groups, direct action groups. and. If you want to get involved, my take on it is not everyone is going to want to lock on on the front line or tie themselves to a tree, and not everyone wants to write to politicians. But somewhere in the spectrum of the things that you can do to change your own life, to challenge corporations and organisations and businesses to operate differently, and to engage with our government, federal, state and local government, we can all find some way, somehow, somewhere that we can go a bit further, do a bit more. You know, I don't write to politicians very often, but I actually think that's quite effective and it's something that we could all do a lot more of because they need to know what we think. That helps guide what they do. And Jodie works at council. She may have a little bit of (laughs) more input on this.
9: Yeah, I think on that note, uh, it's really wonderful to reflect that two years ago was the last time this student strike met in Victory Park. And two years ago, I was sitting there on the lawn... And there were calls for council to to declare a climate emergency and that was a success. And thank you to all of you for your really hard work to make that conversation so public and so transformative because as a result of your calls for climate emergency to be called, the councillors asked for a climate forum. So many of you, 90 people submitted submissions of up to four pages of really fantastic ideas of what we could be doing together between council and the community. 45 people turned up for one day of 12 hours of presentations to councillors, and to their credit, they listened for 12 hours. And the overwhelming response was that they understood that we needed to declare a climate emergency. And they also understood what an amazing community this is and how much expertise, experience, and passion lies here. So not only did they declare a climate emergency, but they have committed through a motion for us to follow our own roadmap to carbon neutrality by 2025. And they've committed to working with the community to reach its goal of zero net emissions by 2030. And that is the work that Mount Alexander, Sustainability Group and Council are partnering on. We've also been supported through Sustainability Victoria. Low Carbon Communities Fund, and many other organisations are involved in that work, which is ongoing, but I can say we're starting to kick some goals. So with respect to Council, we are, this week, made a big announcement with 46 other Councils that we have 100% renewable electricity for all of our operations. And that and that is something that is shared by 46 Councils, so there's a massive investment in renewable energy in our state, thanks to the leadership of local government. And we, we get that energy from two big wind farms in Victoria, so it is also staying within within our community here. We are uh, installing electric vehicle charging stations over there in the IGA car parking lot is one, another one is in Harcourt. And we are also doing the same in our own fleet, in our own council vehicles. Installing LED lighting across the whole major road network of this shire as well, which will save a lot of money and a lot of carbon emissions too. So those are a few wins from our own operations, but in the in the community space, we've been listening to you. And I wanted to thank all of you who've not only participated in the, in the climate forum, but participated in the online forum and told us all of your ideas and concerns and values and visions for the future here. And we've also just had the Shape Mount Alexander community consultation process. All of that we'll be pulling together and we hope to share it back with you at an event later in the year. There'll be many opportunities to take those ideas further and to get on board with how we're going to reduce our emissions to zero net by 2030 but also how are we going to adapt to climate change how are we going to make sure this is a thriving community into the future and we have done a lot of work as well with ali and and with other partners to look at our culture our creative sector our indigenous wisdom and all the things that um, are incredibly important to changing the way we live on this planet. It's not just about emissions, it's actually about our values and how we live too. So it's a very exciting journey and I look forward to sharing that with you as uh, we go forward. Do you want to say some more about the Community Climate Transition Plan?
0: Ali? Um, I think all I'd say is that it's, Council has been a major partner in it, but it really is a community effort. And I think that it's really important that everyone feels like They can get involved and take some ownership and it's sort of changing shape. It's going to be emerging more strongly in the next couple of years and I think it's really the time. If you feel inspired to take action on climate, if you want to see some change happen here in our community, if you want to see how our community can be a leader globally and can be inspirational to other communities around Australia, then get involved with this thing and put all of your ideas in there. There's room for everything from, as Jody said, cultural change, how we relate to each other, how we relate to the environment, and also how we consume energy, how we insulate our houses, you know, practical and spiritual, like that whole spectrum. So if you're feeling inspired to get involved, get involved. And as I said earlier, no matter what your bent is, find a way, find a group that helps you do what you can do really well and, amplify it get involved
9: thanks and and look i guess um just in conclusion we're not alone in this the victorian state government has also committed to zero net emissions their target is 2050 but there's really considerable work underway to mobilise all the sectors of our state to reach that goal and it's not a small undertaking there'll be a lot of money that we hope to funnel into this community for things like microgrids, regenerative agriculture even electric vehicle manufacturing, all sorts of opportunities. And I think part of our plan with all of you is to think about what are the really big opportunities for business growth and innovation in this region. So thanks for your attention and please stay inspired and follow those little and big ideas that you have. That's what's gonna make a difference. Well, thank you very much to Ali and Jody for those inspiring words.
2: And yeah, do take action. Get those letters out to the politicians. Get yourself organised. I'm now going to introduce Chilli Holt, who is the captain of Winters Flat Primary School. And she is going to speak to us about what she thinks about the future. And so could we give you her... She's a little bit nervous. So how about a big round of applause for Chilli.
1: Hello, my name is Chilli. I'm 11 years old. I'm also one of the school captains for Winterslap Primary School. I'm here because I feel strongly about climate change and the environment. I went to my first strike or march in Sydney. I became very interested in this topic and started watching and listening to powerful speeches about climate change and what is happening to the world in front of our very eyes. I made posters and went to a couple more marches in Sydney. When we moved to Castlemaine, I was so impressed by my new school and what some schools do to protect the environment, like having nude food all the time at school, having only compost, worm farm and recycling bins and no landfill bin. I was also impressed by the marches and how much all my new friends knew about climate change. This should happen all around the world, but it doesn't. At my old school in Sydney, which was on one of the busiest streets in New South Wales, Cars zoomed by every day, polluting the world and our bodies. The school had to go on strike and wear masks, as right next to the school was an underground highway being built, which had constant polluting smoke coming out of it. Children should be learning in their classrooms, but instead we have to fight. Fight for our future, our children's future, for the world's future. Every night, when I put my head on the pillow, The main thing I worry about is what's going to happen when climate change gets worse. Even worse than it is now. Children should not have to worry about climate change. No one should have to worry about climate change. But we do, because it's happening right now and we have to take action now. That's why I'm speaking now, because I don't want other children like me to have to worry about the world. To do this, we have to help. Everyone has to contribute. Here are some things we do at my school. We recycle biodegradable plastics, which is turned into furniture. And we also recycle paper and batteries. We plant trees which attract insects and birds. We save energy by using solar panels. Our school is recognised as being water-wise by Resource Smart. If one school can contribute to the health of the environment, then surely others can as well. Thank you for listening and now to the future. Thank you so much, Chilli. What an
7: absolute inspiration. Great. How good was Chilli? Another round of
2: applause for Chilli. Good on you, darling. <laughs> and a lot of kids uh, that were involved in the um, original striker down in Melbourne, so, you know, shout out to them. And it's great to see the baton's been passed to the younger children to take up this fabulous struggle. And she's right, shouldn't be their problem, but, you know, good on them for taking it up. Okay, time now to hear from Trevor, Trevor Scott. Now, everyone knows Trevor. He's been around for a very long time. He went on the big Bob Brown anti-Adani rally that went up to Queensland. He's part of the Central Victorian Climate Change Action Group, and he's got a bit to tell you about what's been going on with that. So please give Trevor a big round of applause.
10: Thanks, Suzanne. Hello, everybody. Great to see you here. We weren't sure how many people would come, but you've done us proud Good to see you all here. I'm an active member of Central Vic Climate Action and I was invited to a school strike for climate in Castlemaine to speak by Callum, a local school striker who's not here today because he's missing school and he's gone on the train and he's in Melbourne. So good on all those people that are not here today and went to Melbourne. So firstly, I honour the First Nations people, the Dja, Dja Warung, on whose land we meet today. I acknowledge the Elders past, present and emerging. I want to start with a quote. The earth does not belong to man, man belongs to the earth. All things are connected, like the blood which unites one's family. Whatever befalls the earth will befall the sons and daughters of the earth. Man did not weave the web of life, is merely a strand in it. Whatever he does to the web, he does to himself. So these words are words of the American Indian leader, Chief Seattle, and they go right back to 1852, as his people gave up their ancestral lands to the white settlers. His advice is so true, but unfortunately, it has been overlooked as the years have slipped by. We live in a world that has been overfished, overcropped, overpackaged and overconsumed in every way you can think of. Because of human-induced climate change, many human lives have already been lost. Many species of flora and fauna are threatened and many more have already gone. The First Nations people of the countries of the world, and I include the Aboriginal people of Australia, know and have known for thousands of years what to do to live sustainably on this earth. And this knowledge has been passed down from generation to generation of their people. Unfortunately, the more recent settlers, going back to Captain Cook and the First Fleet, have chosen to ignore this wisdom and it has now become abundantly clear that our ways of living are unsustainable. And we are choking the earth. Thanks to our scientists, we've known for 30 or 40 years about greenhouse gas and how it entraps the sun's rays. Unfortunately, we haven't listened to the scientists either. We have so much evidence of this overheating, cyclones and floods that grow stronger and higher every year, bleached coral reefs that will not recover and horrific, unstoppable fires. In the wake of COVID-19 crisis, our government, early last year, set up a recovery commission Unfortunately, almost every member of this commission had a direct link to a lobbyist or a company involved in fossil fuel extraction. So, in spite of scientists informing us decades ago of the dangers of of burning fossil fuels and their advice that they must stay in the ground, our government is insisting on a gas-led recovery. Shame on them. This will inevitably lead to the waste of millions of dollars in stranded assets such as gas plants and pipelines, but more importantly, and more tragically, it is setting Australia up to extract more and more fossil fuels. Unlike Australia, many of the world's countries have pledged to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, but unfortunately, even if they're fulfilled, fall well short of what is needed to bring global energy-related CO2 emissions to net zero by 2050. The International Energy Agency, the body that works with countries around the world to shape energy policies for a a safe climate has long been a supporter of fossil fuel use for energy production. Now, at long last, it is saying that there must be no new coal mines or gas fields, and there must be no expansion of existing coal mines or gas fields. Our country in 2021 with its focus on our resources and a gas-led recovery, is now at odds with this. Our government, with its lack of planning for a transition from fossil fuels to renewable, is about to make Australia the pariah of the world. What can be done, I hear you asking. Here's some of the things that you can do. You can join a climate action group. You can take part in an XR blockade or a similar action. You can take part in a forest blockade. You can write a letter to your local paper. You can talk to or send an email to your local politician. Help our council achieve its commitment under its climate emergency plan, which you just heard about. Talk about the need for climate action to your friends, to the people in your church or your club. I'm grateful to all of you who have joined School Strike for Climate today. And I'm grateful for anything that you can do from now on to help save this planet for us and for future generations. Thanks for listening.
2: Good on you, Trev. Thanks. A big round of applause for Trevor. Good on you, mate. Okay. Now, Bernie Tonkin Cook, I believe that's you, young sir. Okay, you're going to come and tell us about something um, very important. Please come to the mic. Hi everyone, my name's Bernard Tomkin.
11: I'd like to thank the organisers for the opportunity to talk to you today about an exciting new campaign where you can uh, take action without even having to get out of your pyjamas. I'd like to second what Trevor has said about our Indigenous forebears and their ability to live on country sustainably. And it's only possibly, probably since the fossil fuel advent of the Industrial Revolution in the last 200 years that life has become suddenly unsustainable and we've got to make big changes. So a few years ago, inspired by Greta Thunberg, a bunch of kids in Castlemaine decided that they were going to turn Greta's action into a high-powered collective action. And so they collectively walked out of school en masse from Castlemaine Secondary College. And from there, with the help of friends in the Australian climate movement and their networks, the school strike for climate as a mass collective walkout went global viral from Castlemaine in a month. That's a story that's worth telling. And perhaps um, inspired by the school strikers and inspired by their ability to tap into global youth energy that was just waiting, waiting for a new tactic, something new to do. Perhaps this campaign that I'm talking about today might, you know, perhaps it'll go that way too. So this is a new campaign I'm announcing. that's about taking on our super funds, which hold a lot of money and are a big slab of the economy. Has anyone here got a super fund? Put your hand up if you've got a super fund. Yeah? Lots of people? Awesome. Put your hand up if you're already in Future Super or Australian Ethical, one of the fossil-free ones. Yeah? few people? Yeah? Put your hand up. If you're in a trade union backed industry super fund, some people, yeah, yeah, put your hand up if you don't know which super fund you're in. My eyes used to glaze over with talk about super funds, but now we know that there's a powerful opportunity to campaign on climate simply by not even getting out of pyjamas and writing a letter to our super fund. So, this is what we're going to say to our super funds we're going to say that we're going to demand that unless our super funds go fossil free by 2025 and they make that plan clear before the end of this year, unless they do that, we're gonna roll over to a committed fossil free fund. And we're gonna roll over collectively and publicly and use as much publicity as we can to inspire others to follow, our friends, our families, and also to shame and embarrass the hypocrisy of the super funds who are still investing our money in fossil fuels. And we're gonna say that there's no excuse any longer to have an eco, environmentally friendly section of your super fund while the rest of your fund burns down the planet. So many people have privately shifted their super uh, for ethical reasons and that's fantastic. But yet we're going to do this publicly and collectively, just like the school strikers did, who turned Greta's action into something even more powerful. So what the dirty secret today that I want to expose about the super industry, including the trade union-backed industry funds, and there are many trade unions who've backed the school strikers today. So as my friend says from Market Forces, where there's hypocrisy, there's hope. And, by word, there's a lot of hypocrisy. So that means there's a lot of hope. So what many of us don't know is that every fortnight when our employer trickles a little bit of our money into our super fund, that that money is highly likely going to Santos, who's about to frack Narrabri, Origin Energy, who's about to frack the Beetleloo Basin, Woodside Petroleum, who we were told by Scott Ludlam the other day gave 125,000 each to the Liberal and Labor Party to secure their future with our political masters. they donate to both sides of politics. That's what the fossil fuel industry does. Well, our super money, and you can bet that these same super funds, including our trade union, and I'm a union member, mind you, I'm not, it's very important. Anyone here a union member? Yeah, well, you've got even more power in relation to your union and their super fund their industry the, 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 the industry fund that they back so every so you can bet that your super fund possibly your trade union backed industry fund has got half a dozen statements about you know climate action such so greenwashing us it's got you know statements about respect for for country for indigenous ownership of country It might even have statements about gender equality. The reality is the hypocrisy in this is that climate will impact first and hardest on women and children, on Indigenous people (coughs) and on the poor. So we want to blow that hypocrisy out of the water and we invite everyone who's in a super fund to join us and, you know, all of you who have um, that super account own a little bit of the economy and we've got to shift the economy. Thanks for listening.
2: Like having our own Bernie Sanders. If you want to join up, it's really good. Follow the money. Everyone's got heaps of money. There's trillions of dollars in superannuation. And in fact, we could change the entire world with our super. So very good idea. Okay. So, so
0: that on. was the climate rally that was held at Victory Park. And before we finish this episode, I thought I'd just slip in a little interview that I did with Chili, the primary school student who spoke so beautifully at the rally. So, Chilly, you just gave a speech in front of heaps and heaps of people. How did that feel to you?
1: Well, at first it was very scary. I was very, very nervous. But then when I started reading it, I kind of just got into what I was talking about and just remembered why I was doing it and just to remember what to do. like. Breathe and stuff. So. <laughs> That's important. And because you're in primary school, how have you sort
0: of seen the high school kids and the student strikes happening over the last few years? How has it made you feel as a young person
1: yourself? Well, I've gone to a couple of them, and I just I've watched a couple of videos of really amazing, powerful speeches, and I just thought, wow, how could that that would be so cool to do that. And then, yeah, I just kind of did it.
0: <laughs> so you're school captain of Wintersflat Primary School. Yeah. Do you have to do speeches very often?
1: Well, I had to do a speech to get in to be a school captain and thought that was scary, but <laughs> this is more scary. We have to do, like, assemblies and stuff.
0: So do you see yourself in the future doing more stuff like this and going to more strikes?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I would like to go to a lot more. I've been to a lot, but... I'd like to go to more. It's really exciting that people are actually taking action and people are contributing to our world.
0: That was Chilly, the primary school student who spoke so bravely and beautifully at the climate rally in Castlemaine. So today's episode has been all about how our young people are taking action on climate and demanding better from us and our leaders. There are links to many of the things discussed in the show in the episode description at saltgrasspodcast.com. I've also included a link to some exciting developments in the Australian courts. It came hot on the heels of the climate strikes and involves eight teenagers and an octogenarian nun who sought an injunction to prevent Australian Environmental Minister Susan Lay from Approving a proposal by Whitehaven Coal to expand the Vickery coal mine in northern New South Wales. So, this group of teenagers and a nun have argued that the minister had a common law duty of care to protect younger people against future harm from climate change. So, that's exciting enough, right, that they did that. But what's even more exciting is that Justice Mordecai Bromberg found the minister did indeed have a duty of care not to act in a way that would cause future harm to younger people. However, He did not grant the injunction as yet. He said he was not satisfied that the minister would breach her duty of care. So that leaves both sides claiming victory. But either way you look at it, this is an incredible court decision and a really exciting development. This episode is going to be the last one for season three of Saltgrass. We will be starting season four pretty much hot on the heels of season three, so don't you worry. There won't really be a break in the schedule, but I'm just going to wrap up season three because I am leaving my role at the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group and we'll just be focusing on the podcast. So I just thought I'd wrap it up because it's a change for me in my life and my scheduling and how I am interacting with things, but I'm still going to be heavily involved with the local climate movement and exploring all of these local stories, but also we'll be exploring stories from a bit further afield. So the episodes that I recorded a couple months back in Mildura, we'll be releasing them in season four. I'm also going to be travelling to Western Australia with my partner a bit later this year and we'll be recording some climate stories along the way as we travel. And I will also be going to Melbourne and Dalesford and around Victoria a little bit more. So season four is going to be a bit Broader in scope than what Saltgrass has been so far, but all of the topics are going to relate back to what Salt of the Earth people are doing and what grassroots change is all about. So that's it for this episode. For those of you listening on Main FM or 3MDR, please note that you can listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your preferred podcasting app. If you can't find Saltgrass on your podcasting app, then please let me know and we'll see what we can do to make it available there. You can follow Saltgrass on Facebook and Instagram and please subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. Again, you can do that by going to saltgrasspodcast.com. This program was made possible with support from Main FM and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. My name is Alison Hanley. Thanks for listening.
1: Salt. 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 Salt.
10: Salt. Salt. Grassroots. Grassroots. Grassroots.
1: Grassroots.
10: Grassroots. Grassroots. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots. Grassroots
0: change. Saltgrass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green at saltgrasspodcast.com.